This episode is brought to you by Rewind. Rewind offers e-commerce brands a solution that protects their stores against unexpected downtime. Rewind adds an undo button to your store, continually saving every change you make and backing up the critical data which runs your business. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable and durable outdoor furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water stain, fade, and mold resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce brands, helping merchants unlock revenue and deliver exceptional customer service. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 105 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee, and today I spoke with Sydney Carmes Wainer, the founder and CEO of French Squirrel. French Squirrel is a French inspired, good for you snacking company, best known for their nutrient dense vegan protein bites and nut butter stuffed dates, both coated in 100% pure, unsweetened chocolate. In this episode, Sydney shares with us her journey from growing up in Los Angeles with a passion for food to working at Press Juicery in college to working as a brand manager at Erwan and starting her company French Squirrel. She talks with us about how her mom bought the domain name FrenchSquirrel.com for Sydney when she was just 11 years old, how she balances both her full-time job at Erwan and building her company, the importance of working with a distributor, and why she wants to continue bootstrapping the business and grow organically. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe to get updates on when we publish a new episode every Tuesday morning. You can follow us on Spotify or check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Sydney. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm so excited to hear your story of building French Squirrel. How are you doing today? Hi, Lee. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. You're in LA too, aren't you? Yes, in in West Hollywood. How about you? Nice. I am in Woodland Hills, right over Topanga Canyon. Amazing. Yeah. I used to live in West Hollywood for a while. Really? Yeah, yeah. West Hollywood is a great place. It's the middle of everything. Yes, of course. Everything for me in terms of location is by restaurant. So whenever I describe where I live, I just say where it's next to based on the restaurant. Um, do you know Isabel? Yeah. So Isabel, I'm like two blocks away from there. And I'm like That's right the by restaurant filled with a Y, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's a cute spot. That's a really cute spot. Where were you? Oh my gosh. I was off like Sunset and Martell area. Oh, I know exactly um, where that is. Yeah. I lived on Sycamore. I lived all over. I feel like it's like New York you kind of bounce around. Uh-huh. Sycamore was on my list too. And I actually was going to live there also. And they just opened up. It's like up and coming over there too, by like Sight Glass Coffee and Tartine and Mislala. They're really, they're really revamping the area. I don't know if you've been there recently. Very different than when I lived there. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but Laurel and Sunset, I think, was probably my favorite spot in West Hollywood. That's a fun spot. Anyway, so where are you from originally? Are you from California? Yes. So I, I was born here. And that's why, you know, West Hollywood wasn't West Hollywood wasn't a huge move, but um hopefully I'll be in Santa Monica next next apartment in a few months. The West Side, I never thought I would say that I would go to the West Side. I feel like I'm the only one of my friends who, like the reason why I'm going to move to the West Side is solely because of my friends, because I can't keep doing the drive. It's it's really tiring me out. But if you were to ask me if I prefer West Hollywood or 
with the West Side, like Santa Monica area, I would still say West Hollywood. There's just a flair and a culture here that Santa Monica just doesn't have. Like, of course, it has the beach, but there's something missing. There's like, it's like the little bit of the New York City that Santa Monica doesn't have. I don't know how to explain it, but. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think Santa Monica is probably also a little touristy. Mm-hmm. It's got that vibe. Yeah. So tell me about childhood. What was it like growing up? Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? When I was younger, I always wanted to be a chef. So I've always been into cooking. That was my dream. My, my mom owns a jewelry company called Sydney Evans. So I grew up she named the jewelry company after my my brother and I. So I watched her build her business from the bottom up. So was I entrepreneurial as a kid? Not as much, no, but I watched it. So you didn't see her and be like, oh, that's cool. I want to do something like that. Well, that that's no, I, it, of course, I always thought that was one of the number one questions I got as a kid was, are you going to take over your mom's business? Oh, are you going to be like your mom? And I don't think that it came from a bad place when people asked that question. It was all from a good place. But as a kid, it actually put a lot of pressure on me. And I was like, oh, well, I don't, I love jewelry. Of course, like I'm wearing her stuff right now. I I love my mom. I'm so proud of what she's done. And it's been amazing to watch her build her brand in front of my eyes. But jewelry isn't my passion. It never has been. It's always been food. Yeah. My dad was a a photographer and it was kind of similar as a kid. It's like, Oh, are you going to take over your dad's business? And I was like, and be a photographer. I don't really want to. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a difficult conversation to have. And then like, you know, I, I never wanted to hurt my mom's feelings and I never, but she's, she's known that if anyone knows me, they know that my that I like jewelry, but I don't love it. My mom can stand in front of people and talk about jewelry for hours. Like it is her, like she is in her flow state when she's talking about jewelry. Whereas me, my flow state is when I'm in the kitchen or I'm doing French squirrel stuff, you know? So how did you start your podcast, by the way? I started it because I wanted to talk with other founders and entrepreneurs about how they got to where they are and why they are the way they are, you know? So that's kind of why I like to talk about childhood too, because I think it shapes us a lot. Yes. I love the name of the podcast as well, because people see their like success quote unquote, and then they forget what it took to even get there and, or yourself and also other people don't even know sometimes. And um, you know, now that I, I know what it took for me to get here, I look at every single grocery store product on the shelf and I'm like, wow, what is like the stairway that it, ah. it took to get there, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but sorry, you were talking about childhood. So yeah, childhood, I, I was into food. I would watch my French grandmother cook all the time, her, her meals. I, so you've got some French in you. Yes. From your mom's side? From my mom's side, my mom's mom, my grandmother, who I was very close to, was she's the inspiration behind French Squirrel because she would always say the word squirrel with a very deep Literally, French accent. I know because I have French friends and I'm <laughs> every time I see or hear your company's name, French Squirrel, all I can hear in my head is a French person trying to say the word yes. squirrel. And it's yeah. literally like squirrel. Yes. Like they can't. <laughs> you did it really well it's exactly like that yeah yeah so that's is this something your grandmother like couldn't pronounce and you thought it was funny and that's why exactly it was something that I thought she because she couldn't pronounce it and I thought it was hysterical and then later on I know this is this is weird but my mom was into buying domain names at some point so when I was like 11 years old she, cause she was buying stuff for her business and random websites. And she randomly asked me one day, do you want a website name? Like I'm buying domain names. And I thought, okay, this is weird. Why do I need a domain name? But I, I just came up with one as a kid does. And I said, frenchsquirrel.com. <laughs> what year was this? I, oh my God. I don't even, I mean, I'm 23. So that was maybe when I was 11 years old, 12 years oh, ago. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yes. 
That's funny. And I don't know if she even knew that that, that was, I, she couldn't have known, but of course my mom was the one who prompted me to do that. So then when I was coming up with my business name or like my Instagram name, sorry, not business name, just my recipe name for Instagram, because I didn't start out thinking I'm going to start a business. I just started out, let me just share my food. I thought, well, I have a website, French Squirrel. Let's just do French Squirrel. That's really funny. So your mom kept paying for this domain for like 10 years. (laughs) Yes. That's funny. I mean, it's probably like 10 bucks a year, but still, that's really funny. Yeah. And it it was, it's really sweet, actually. I don't, I don't know what she thought was going to come from it. If she thought there was anything, but you know, I fully recognize the name is weird. Like there are people who think that I don't know that it's weird. I know it's weird. When I pick up the phone and I say, hi, I'm Sydney calling from French squirrel. I start laughing myself. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I know it. sometimes I'm like, I cannot believe this is the name of my company. Are they like French? What? Yes. <laughs> like to- and you won't believe how many people don't know how to spell the word squirrel. It's actually unbelievable. I bet you, I have emails that have been undelivered because people can't spell squirrel. Right. And it's actually the most intelligent people in my life didn't even know how to spell. They're like, is it two R's? And I'm like, yes, it's two R's. (laughs) I mean, but it's kind of like makes sense because who uses the word squirrel like ever when they're writing an email, like not many people are talking about squirrels. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I had to figure it out too. I mean, it is kind of a a funny word. It's okay. It's not, it's nothing to be embarrassed about because I've had to do it. I have to spell it out millions of times. So what's, uh, what are some of the first couple jobs you had like in high school or college? Uh, when I was in, I went to school at UC Santa Barbara. So just two hours from LA. I always say that because I don't know who's listening to, and people, people are always asking me where Santa Barbara who don't live in California. So I went to school there and I was working at Press Juicery. So I, it's just a, it was just a random job that I did. I was, you know, making the freeze, the press freeze. And that was my favorite dessert at the time because I loved how it was just dates and almonds and it was just healthy. Yeah. You're talking about the, like the soft serve ice cream type of thing. Oh yeah. That stuff is good. It's really good. Now I can't really, I, I think back then I convinced myself it was better than it is now. It's good. But now that I've allowed myself kind of everything, like that was just something I was like, oh, it's healthy. So I made myself eat it and made myself think that I liked it. You know, I do. I still will crave it from time to time, but you can't beat a real frozen yogurt. I worked there and I did a, I had a food handler's license from working there. And I vividly remember in college when I was sitting in my room in my apartment there, I mean, I wouldn't even call it an apartment, a, a house with like 13 other girls like a dorm it was terrible anyways it was great just the living conditions were terrible (laughs) so I remember sitting in my room thinking why am I getting a food handler's license I why are you well I had to get one to work there but I was like I can't believe I'm doing this stupid test right now like I remember clicking through it and I was like this is taking so long like I had to you know dedicate a couple hours not that it it was in the grand scheme of things it was no time at all I'm just in the moment I was like I can't believe I'm doing this this is so annoying and I didn't know why I even had it and I thought "Ah, maybe one day I'll use it for something and I ended up having to use it for something when I eventually started French Squirrel when I was making them in the beginning. So that job, I would have had to take that test again if I didn't have it, but I did. Yeah. It's, I think it's kind of funny looking back that some of the most annoying things that you had to do or things that you didn't want to do that were some of the most challenging things that you wish you could have avoided actually become really valuable lessons and things that you kind of take with you. Yes. And I, I remember thinking that too. So it's not like, oh, that was annoying. Like I remember that internal dialogue that I had while on my computer. When am I ever going to use this? I actually remember saying that to myself. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I said that to myself about studying calculus, but I was definitely, I'm still right about that. (laughs) Never used it. Totally useless. Yeah. I think that too. Um, but that was, that was a press juicery. And then now the, the next job out of college. So I graduated UCSB early, like early, early, like three years instead of four. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Three years instead of four, three and a quarter. I didn't, I didn't intend to graduate early. There were a lot of people that I met in college that day one freshman year, they said, I'm doing this in three years. That was never my plan. But then I remember going to France. I went to France to study abroad. Nice. Did you stay in Paris? No. So I was in Bordeaux. Oh, nice. And I intentionally chose Bordeaux so that I could put myself. Drink in- some wine. Yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> that was great. Yes. That, but also I needed to challenge myself to speak French. And I knew that if I went to Paris, everyone would just speak English to me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I went, I studied abroad in Paris actually myself and I lived in Paris many times. You're right. You can get away with speaking English if you want, you know, Europeans in general, like most know English, unlike Americans who don't really know any other language, which is very (laughs) annoying. And I could also talk about that too, that, that bothers me as well. But anyways, (laughs) So you were in Bordeaux because you wanted to learn some French, but you also had a French grandmother. So you probably grew up, you know, hearing at least a lot of French, right? I did, but I never put it into practice because my dad doesn't speak French. So always growing up, if my mom and I wanted to speak in French, it it wasn't, I mean, that's, that's maybe an excuse because I know there are lots of like my friend's parents who only one of them speaks a language. Maybe it's an excuse, but I, I didn't really practice much. It was always school driven French. I would do, I took it in school all my, like throughout starting in seventh grade, but I never put it into practice. I would speak with my great uncle in French when he would come over because my uncle, my grandma, my, my uh, mom, but it, I needed to go to France and just put myself in there. And a lot of my friends went with other friends abroad. I went completely myself because I said, if I go with somebody, I won't speak French. Nice. So you went by yourself. So did you learn some French? I did. And now I can say that I'm pretty conversationally fluent as in, I don't know everything, but I can hold, I can hold a conversation like intermediate level. Yes. Cool. And I did an internship while I was there, but it, it, and it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was also in the, in the food space too. So I wanted to see what the work life was like in France. And it's so different than here. Oh yeah. Like two hour lunch breaks. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. They started at like 11 AM. I'm like, what is going on? Right. Break from 12 to two, lots of vacation in August. And yeah, there's a very different work ethic in Europe. How long were you in Paris for? I studied abroad in, in college. And then I, um, I lived there for probably like every year for three years for like a couple months. Wow. For, yeah. I was modeling at the time. So I was represented by an That's agency good. there and I would go and I would live there for a few months out of the year. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It was fun. But like you, I studied French as a kid. So from fourth grade all the way through high school and into college, I studied French. And, you know, you think you know it because you've been studying it, but it's really cool to be there and see and feel and be in that world that you've only kind of studied and seen from the outside for a long time. I remember the first week that I got there. Oh, my God. The first two weeks were very challenging. And I got locked out of my apartment the first two weeks. And I, again, I think I I thought I knew French, but until you start panicking, I was like calling people on the street. I was like, monsieur, madame, like, uh, you know, aide moi. Like, I don't, it was just not, I was stuttering. It wasn't even coming to me. Help me. I, I, I did not know what I was doing. And I thought like that, I was so lost, you know? And then in those moments I was like, wow, I actually don't really know French as as well as I thought I did because when I panicked, I just, it all left. 
Tell me about, you know, you come back from studying abroad, you graduate college. I knew you worked at Air One. So tell me about how you kind of started working there. So I still work for Air One. And that's where I was going to I was going to get there after the graduating early thing, because when I graduated early, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I had heard that they were hiring for a position where uh, like for someone who's really passionate about food, really passionate about the health and wellness space, not just someone who, you know, is in the back of the office, just, you know, doing a filing data job, someone who really likes food. Um, and they, they were really creating this position of brand management and, you know, looking for new brands and the hottest, trendiest brands. And I do that every day of my life. Like I'm, I'm on Instagram looking at the coolest new products and these brands that are launching in these startups. And so I applied and I did a couple interviews and then I got the job. And I started in January of 2020, sorry, February of 2020. And now I've been at Air One for almost two and a half years. What were some of the things that you've learned through your job at Air One that has helped you build your business? I will go as far as to say that I don't think that I could build, I could have built French Squirrel to what it is today without being at Air One. My boss is my mentor. I owe him a lot, a lot. He's the one who's really helped me and encouraged me and given me a huge confidence boost to be able to just put something out there. And how it all started was, I'll give you the short version, but I never meant to start my, I always knew I wanted to start my own business when I started my French Squirrel Instagram, but I didn't know what the product was. I was trying so hard to like come up with the product and it wasn't really working. It didn't really click until I was, I would make these protein bites, which I now call berets because they're like little French hats, but they were just my protein bites that I would bring to work as my work snack. And I would always eat them behind my computer at my desk around like three or four with my cappuccino. And I would just eat it as my snack. And my boss is always like, what are you eating back there all the time? You, it's like some chocolate thing you're always eating. And I go, oh, it's just no big deal. It's just my protein bites that I make at home, you know? And so he goes, well, can you bring some to the office like for everyone? And I go, sure. So I like go to the, I would keep them in the fridge at the office and I would, and I brought him one. He's like, this is amazing. Make me another batch. I just need to try this. I just need to see what you did, what you did. So I give him another batch and he said, why isn't this your business? These are amazing. You need to make this into a business. Come out with two or three other flavors and start making them. And that's when I started in the commercial kitchen and I got with the graphic designer. Obviously, I'm like skipping so many steps, like all the legal things and whatever, which is the stairway. <laughs> but I never in a million years imagined that to be my product because that was something that I made for myself and my family. So he was the one who encouraged me to, he was like, get into a commercial kitchen. Okay, now do this. Show him my design and all the things. And at one point I was kind of all done, not done, but I had a version one of the product. And he said to me, why aren't you launching yet? And I go, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not really ready. I just, it's not really good yet. And he goes, you're not, it's that you're never going to be ready. Just go, just launch. So I posted on my Instagram, like it's coming next week. I have no idea what I'm doing, by the way, like zero clue. And he was right. And my favorite LinkedIn quote, I mean, sorry, my favorite quote from the founder of LinkedIn is, if you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. So you were embarrassed by your first product. Not embarrassed, but now I look at my packaging. Embarrassed is the wrong word. I, I'm just like, Ugh, it could have been better, but we're always hard on ourselves. Not the first version of the product. Like now I want more professional packaging. I mean, when I first started, I did, I still have it the same packaging and it's very like mom and pop style, but people at Erewhon like that. And that's what I learned from working at Erewhon. It's looking at the data, looking at the sales. People like when something looks homemade, at least the Erewhon customer does. Why do you think that is? I think because a lot of the customer base is very 
into health and understanding that the way to health is limiting the amount of processed food. And when you look at these brands that are in this random packaging that doesn't look so quote unquote professional and looks a little bit more granola-y, small batch, which is what my product looks like. It does look like that. Not the second, the dates look more, which I'll let you put, have your input because I know you got them, Lee, but I, but the first one is more mom and pop looking. And I think that's because people like to see what they're eating, A, and B, they want to know that it was made with, made with love, made in a small batch and not on a machine. Something like that is my thought. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Have you ever experienced lost sales due to downtime caused by a corrupt CSV, malicious attack, or rogue third-party app? Even if it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. That's why brands like Pier 1 Import, Lord & Taylor, Hasbro, and Staples use Rewind to keep their store protected. Rewind gives you peace of mind, protects your data, and saves you time and money by easily restoring your data, automatically backing up and keeping a record of every change you make. Get a 30-day free trial with Rewind today by going to rewind.io slash stairway to CEO. That's R-E-W-I-N-D dot I-O slash stairway to CEO. Spring is in the air, which means summer will be here in no time. But is your patio or backyard ready for action? With Outer, you can get your outdoor space decked out with the best looking sustainable sofas, chairs, coffee tables, eco-friendly rugs, and don't forget their celebrity favorite, bug shield blanket to keep those mosquitoes away. Want to check it out for yourself? Browse over a thousand Outer customers' backyards online and visit a neighborhood showroom in your own neighborhood to experience Outer products in person before you decide to buy. And when you decide to buy, you can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture purchases with the promo code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. With the rising costs of acquiring new customers, retention is a key focus for DTC brands. And creating outstanding customer experiences shouldn't be costly or a burden for your customer support team. This is exactly why Gorgeous is so great. They centralize all of your customer communications into one beautiful dashboard, personalizing each experience along the way, which not only helps you retain your customers, but also saves you time and increases revenue. Gorgeous works with over 9,000 brands, including Princess Polly, Olipop, and Boxu. So if you'd like to be one of them, head on over to Gorgeous.com and mention the Stairway to See You podcast to get two months free. That's two months free of Gorgeous when you head over to Gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention the Stairway to See You podcast. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. When you were working at Airwan, but then also kind of developing this product, I guess getting it onto Airwan shelves was probably pretty easy. Actually, yes and no. My boss lied about who made the product, by the way. He didn't want any bias to the fact that I worked for the company to affect whether the president approved the product. So he said, he made up some story about how some woman in Culver city started this business. It was because he just wanted to see, does the approval team like the product? And that, that made me feel better too, because I knew they didn't approve it on the premise that I worked for the company. So she had no idea the president that it was me. And then what happened after you got approval and they're like, oh, by the way, we lied. I wouldn't say lie. It was like right after. So right after she said, oh, yeah, I love it. Let's bring it in. Then he goes, then he goes, yeah, she made them. It's her product. Oh, because you were right there in the room like, hey, yeah, I discovered this brand, but actually it's mine. Right. It was it was right there. And I think I would have felt bad if if it went any other way, I actually like knowing that she had no idea that it was me. Right. Because what if she was like, eh, I don't know, this product's like mediocre. Exactly. So it makes me feel better. 
But um, yeah, I my my job at Erewhon, I, I I love it, and I've said this to my family, my friends. I think that they all encourage me to, you know, they they say, oh, "Wow, like everyone asks me, when am I going to leave Erewhon?" It's just it's kind of annoying at this point how many people ask me because I like my job. That's the problem. If it's not this story, like this narrative that entrepreneurs say often, which is I left my full-time nine to five corporate job to pursue my dreams. I'm living my dream right now at Erewhon too. So I, I, it's hard for me to leave because I like what I'm doing. Yes. People assume that if you're starting a business, you have to jump in full-time and commit a hundred percent and take zero salary. And the thing, the, the truth is though, most people can't afford to do that. And the thing is, is a lot of times, and I think a lot of people don't talk about it, is that I, I kind of learned the hard way a long time ago. And I think it's changed because the barrier to entry, especially in consumer goods, is different. But building a tech company a couple of years ago, it's a rich person's game, actually. Like build, entrepreneurship is actually for very for rich people who can take that hit and not have to work. Yeah, because that risk. Yeah, that mm-hmm. risk. And even from investors, their expectation level is that of someone who went to Harvard. The person who can afford going to Harvard can afford to not take a salary and work for sweat equity, right? For as long as it takes to finally be able to prove their business worthy and pay themselves. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. Yeah. And no, a hundred percent. And I think that when people, again, ask me that question of when are you going to leave? When are you going to do this full time? It's with good intention, right? It is with good intention, but they don't know they don't know the back end. They don't know, uh, you know, the finances of my business. They don't know that I even, I've said a million times that I love my job, but still they can't even comprehend that I like my nine to five corporate job, but it doesn't feel that way at all. And I'm, I mean, you asked me how my job has helped my business. I mean, I still feel like a sponge absorbing everything at Erewhon. And so, and I'll know the day that I leave is the day that I stop feeling like that sponge and absorbing all that information, you know? Exactly. Because right now you're still learning. There's a ton to learn. You have a lot of support. It's your network of mentors. It's, um, you know, so helpful to have that because building a business can be really lonely. Nobody talks about that either because I think I, I talk to my, all my coworkers about what's going on with French Squirrel. I'm a very vocal person in terms of it's hard for me to keep my feelings inside. And so even when I'm making a decision that I, I know the decision, like I was printing labels and showing two different colors of labels. I know which one I like. Right. But I mean, I feel like a lot of women are like that too. It's like, you know, the answer, but you still have to ask people anyways. I'm like going around the office on my lunch break and being like, hi, which color do you like better? Option A or option B? And I'm just like, you know, it it helps me think out loud. Oh, what do you think about this versus this? Or this flavor, I like go around and I have them test my product because they all know it. When I was changing, like uh, when I was doing uh, recipe development for a flavor, I go option A, option B. And they all just, and it's fun. It's like your beta testers, your, your peers, your, your colleagues at work are like your beta testers and you're able to get data on all types of things from color palettes to taste. And, and they tell me the truth, which is something that a lot of people don't do. Like they, they're not afraid to hurt my feelings, which is why I feel like I've grown so much at Erewhon. Like there was a, there, they have a vending machine in the office where we, we stock it's so funny. It's it, it it's the best thing ever. We stock Erewhon salads, Erewhon products, and also French squirrel is in the machine. And there was one day where someone got a package and they go, oh, it doesn't, something's off with this, this one. It's a little, a little too much salt on top, honestly. It's a little salty. And I go, oh, that's weird. Okay. So I I opened it and I got it and I was like, that is too much salt. That's too much salt. And I, 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 no one would have, someone else wouldn't have told me. And then I had to go make sure that my 
that my manufacturers are like a little, a little bit less lighter on the salt, you know, just something like that. So how long have you been working on French squirrel so far? The idea came in June of 2020 and I launched August of 2020 <laughs> in two months. That's great. <laughs> which is, which is nuts because I, you know, I watch some of these other companies that are trying to perfect something for years and then I just threw out something, you know, but so yeah, that was August of 2020. So it's been, oh my God, one well, August, it'll be two years. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's super interesting. I have to be honest. I'm not, a gr- I'm not, I'm like kind of new to the dates world. Like I'm not a big date eater. They're really good, but I'm, I think, cause I'm, I don't eat dates very often. It's just a unique flavor for me. But it's good. There are people who don't like dates that like the product. That, so they're called bateaux because, you know, obviously, you know, French, but they're, they're boats in French because they look like little date boats. Yeah, I get that all the time. People that don't like dates still like bateaux because I think that sometimes dates on their own can be a little freaky for some people. They don't like the texture or it's too sweet. But when you balance it out with the, unsweetened chocolate and the nut butter and the salt, I think it makes it more appealing, at least for me. Yeah, no, I like the peanut butter ones for sure. And then these um, berets are really cute. I love how you're naming them after like French things like hats and boats. What surprised me was the protein content. I mean, that's like six grams of protein. Seems like that's a lot. That's awesome. The serving size is really up to you. Some people will eat two. And some people will eat one. It's just up to you and your hunger cues. But yeah, there is, there's about half as much sugar as there is protein. So double the protein, half the sugar for the most part. And it depends what flavor. Obviously peanut and almond just naturally have more protein than sunflower seeds and, and cashews and tahini. I mean, sesame seeds, but yeah, the, the ratio is intentional. It's very blood sugar stabilizing, which is something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, no, it tastes great. And it's, uh, I love that it's high protein, low sugar, vegan and gluten-free though, too, is also awesome. My husband's gluten-free and we, we try to stay vegan. So amazing. Well, that's good. I, that, that the, the product is I'm not vegan. I was for a while and same with gluten-free. I've kind of removed all labels but when it comes to snacks, I always try to keep them pretty much, yeah, vegan and gluten-free, all those, all the things. And the chocolate is what I'm most proud of, I would say, because it is the highest quality chocolate, guaranteed. It's, some people expect to bite something sweet. Yeah, it looks like a, a peanut butter cup. Yeah, And it looks like that. I fully get why people think it. And then it's like, oh, well, it's not that sweet. And that's the whole point because I was trying to achieve that a chocolate, like satisfy my chocolate craving in the afternoon, but without the sugar. And so the chocolate has no sugar, no milk, no soy lecithin either. And there are people who actually have chocolate allergies that they think they have chocolate allergies but they may be actually intolerant to soy. And soy lecithin is an emulsifier and a thickening agent that companies use in their chocolate products to prevent it from all the coagulation and the melting. And it's just to preserve it. And it's soy lecithin is usually made from GMO corn. I mean, soy, sorry, GMO soy. So people don't know that. And there's nothing wrong with it in small quantities, but there's no soy lecithin in our product. And I'm proud of that. That's awesome. And so it's been what almost it's been like two years, basically almost right. Since you've launched, how has it been going? And what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? So it's been going well in terms of expansion and back to still working for Erewhon and doing this, that would probably be one of the top difficulties of mine is that I'm doing both at the same time, just because I have to switch my brain on and off different, you know, during different moments of the day. And as an entrepreneur, 
you can't really do that. You have to be full-time French squirrel all the time. Even if you're doing something else, my head is always there and you have to be uh, in order to, to successfully run it because there's always a problem. Like there, there's every, I don't mean a problem like in the, in a very large way, but there's not a day that goes by that there isn't something that I have to like fix or resolve or whatever it is. Um, that's definitely one difficulty is that I'm still split, but it's not that much of a burden. I'm still doing fine working both jobs. Again, I'll know when I'm not doing fine is the day to leave, but for right now I'm fine. I would say also expanding and feeling less in control. So when I was directly distributing my product, I like French Squirrel was directly working with the retailer. And that's how a lot of small businesses start is they work directly with them in terms of finances, like, you know, accounting and deliveries, and you're responsible for getting the product there. And while that worked for the first few, first year or so of business, the only way to expand in the food industry is to get into distribution. So I have to find a middleman to help distribute my product. And that has been a game changer. It's something that many startups avoid because obviously they take a cut, but I would have delayed that if I wasn't working for Erewhon. I see at Erewhon how huge it is to have someone take care of your business. And that's the only way to grow in the food industry. And so even though that was a huge challenging step for me to be like, here's my baby, you know, like here's my French squirrel, please distribute it to all these companies. I mean, these retailers, that was really hard for me to know that I no longer was responsible for getting the product there. And of course, with that, comes other issues because I don't have eyes on it 24 seven. And so I think letting go, like surrendering to that was really, is, is still really difficult for me, but it's the company that I work with is amazing. My distributors are great. They've helped me get accounts too. So a lot of times grocery stores will turn down your product if you're not in distribution because they don't want to onboard a little small mom and pop sometimes because it's too annoying. They want to work with one distributor who has all these brands and they've been great for me. So they've gotten me accounts and I, I hope that, you know, I, I'm expanding more and more. And so I have ones that they know I want that like the companies I'm trying to target. So. And so from a fundraising perspective, have you, I assume you've bootstrapped this mostly yourself. Do you plan on taking investor money at any time? I have put my own money into the business and that's how it's been running for the past few, now almost two years. I do anticipate maybe fundraising or getting some investment at some point, but I have a lot of friends that are in the CPG space that have their own companies and they're, they always talk about that. And we're at lunch sometimes and they're always talking about this investor and that investor and this company that they, this venture capital, blah, 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 blah. And I, for a while thought, wait, do I need to be doing that? I kept, because they were all talking about it. Do I need to be raising money? I remember even saying to my parents, should I be doing this? Like my dad said to me, well, what can you identify what you need it for? Like, what do you want? What are you going to do with it? And then the second he said that and just said, why? Like, what is it that you need? Then I was like, wait a second. I don't really, like, I don't, I don't need it. And I don't mean, and I don't, of course it's great to have, but does it, is it going to help me achieve the goals that I'm setting for this year? No, I, I said, I want French squirrel to be in, Bristol Farms, in Lassen's, in Sprouts, in Lazy Acres, in Mother's Market. I don't need, at this time today, March 4th, I don't need that for those accounts. When the day comes that I'm going to need the money for those accounts, then of course I'll start 
investing investments rounds of investment but for right now I was like wait I don't know why I'm I'm thinking about this because all my friends are well it depends how fast you want to move too right like if you're trying to truly expand and hire someone for sales and have someone who run your ops and you want to build a fast growing scalable business like getting venture capital is probably going to be helpful So if you just want to grow organically and like have this on the side and as you are, I mean, then you don't, you definitely don't need venture capital. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not trying to, of course, I want the company to be successful. I know it will be successful, but I'm not planning on, you know, everyone says the words like blowing up and like, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to blow up. I want, I'm going to be here for for a long time, like a slow organic growth, you know? So that also, again, is said with good intention and people say, oh my God, you're blowing up. Like, that's great. But I, I, I want to take it slow because I, I like it. I don't have an exit plan, you know? So what's next for the company and what kind of final advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are thinking, hmm, I want to build a cool food brand? Really just continuing the expansion of getting more retail accounts. I also sell online, by the way, which a lot of people don't know. A lot of my customers don't know that I sell online because they enjoy the experience of picking it up as a to-go item in the grocery store. And I hear that. So that makes me as as a founder want to make sure that more of my audience has access to it, meaning getting into more accounts. Even if they know it's online, I still want to make them happy and put it in all the grocery stores. That's what's next for me in terms of expansion. Then my final piece of advice would be similar to what I was talking about in the founder of LinkedIn, which is to just start that's my number one piece of advice is to just do it. I have people talking to me all the time. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, I want to do that. What do you think about this business? If I start this, what do you think about this? And it's great. But then I'm like, okay, so where's the action? Are you going to do it? I was in a very vulnerable place by even launching a product that I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, okay, here we go. And I was just talking to a friend about, imposter syndrome and how a lot of entrepreneurs feel that way because they, they, they feel like, well, did I even, do I even know what I'm doing right now? But does anyone ever know what they're doing? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Like I thought that growing up, like, oh, everyone has the, like all these adults in my life have everything together. I thought like, you know, I feel, no, I agree. There's a point when you're a kid where you feel like, you know, your parents know everything and oh my gosh, they're just so smart. And then you hit a point in life and you're like, oh my God, they're just people that that had fully happened. And I'm that kid and they're those people. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, yeah. That was that. So that would be my advice is to just start like an actionable instead of just talk, which is the talk is great, but who's, who's actually doing it? try it. And if it, and and if it fails, it fails, but, but I don't even know, I don't even like the word fail because if you learned from it, it's not a failure. Right. You just adjust and try something else. Yeah. Try it a different way. What what would your, what would your advice be now? Now? Oh, actually now interviewing all these CEOs and all these entrepreneurs, what has been the common thread of that last question, which is the advice question. Like, just, is there a common denominator? It does vary because everybody has a very different experience in building a company. There's definitely a lot of don't give up type of advice because I think there's a lot of times where you get pushed to the limits and you really kind of want to give up sometimes because it, it can be a lot. And obviously they've been on the show, so they've had success and they're, they're like pushed through because I did and look where I am. So there's like, there's that and the just get started thing too, because I think that's another thing where a lot of entrepreneurs, um, I remember I interviewed um, Gail from Call of Power. And one of the things she said was, I'm just glad that I just did it because I almost didn't. You know, and if you really think about the, how easy it is to just not do something, 
And she almost didn't do it. Right. Like because she had a phone call with a friend and her friend, I guess, encouraged her to just go for it. And I was like, well, what if your friend didn't say that? And then what? Would you just not do it? And she's like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have. You never and know. then there wouldn't be call up hour. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, and, I, right? and I think also when people, my friend said, oh, well, you know, you made the decision to, to go after this. Like you didn't have to, because I'm always saying, oh, you know, it was my boss. Like he's the one who really helped me and pushed me and encouraged me. And then they go, well, Sydney, you could have, you could have said, no, I don't want to do this. Like he, you had an opportunity and you decided to go for the opportunity. There are people who would have been like, I'm comfortable with my job. No, I'm not going to start my own business. I don't need to. I even removed my part from that too. Like I was just like, oh, you know, my boss, he's the one who, who, who helped me. But I have to realize also that it was me who decided to go after it also. And I forget that often. I think in most stories, there are people that help encourage each other, right? I think it's hard to do things when everybody's against you, right? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's not such a good idea if everybody doesn't like it anyways, right? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. But, you know, if you feel really passionate and you have this internal feeling that you should just go for it and you get a little bit of validation, then just freaking go for it. Agree. Couldn't agree more. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. That was so much fun. And I really appreciate the intentional questions. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.